Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we're going to start a new series today, and it's called Metaphors. And a metaphor is just simply you compare one thing to another to try to explain it. That's, that's the simple explanation there. So what we're going to do in the next four weeks is we're going to look at four different metaphors that are surrounding, uh, some of them are the sayings of Jesus or ideas around his life or teachings of his, uh, and we're going to, and some of them, even the one today may be the most hard to grasp, so it's, it's nice to have a metaphor with which we can compare that idea to. Uh, and so that's what we're going to try to do is look at these sayings or teachings or things about or around the ministry and life of Jesus and help the, it'll help us to explain them, uh, to dig deep in them, and then to hopefully apply these principles or truths to our lives. So today we're going to look at the metaphor of wind. Wind. Wind is unique in that it is probably the only thing that I can think of that is non-physical yet completely tangible. Right? You can't actually see it, but you can see what it does. It's a thing, but you can't, you can't really grasp it or touch it, or, or you can't actually see the thing. And we'll talk about part of that a little bit today. So wind is interesting in that way. And I think in, in this way, it is uh, very much like God. So describing God in, in the way of wind is very helpful for us to sometimes grasp this idea of God. And not only God the Father, but specifically the Holy Spirit is, is compared to wind. We're going to compare the Holy Spirit to wind and really look at two comparisons, two physical wind that compare to the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Holy Spirit a little bit more and also hopefully be able to be, the idea is to be led by the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? You may have heard that phrase before, be led by the Spirit, let the Holy Spirit guide you. We're going to look at this idea, this metaphor of wind, look at two uh, comparisons of it, and see if we can figure it out. So we see this in both the Old and New Testament. I'll just mention this very quickly. So the uh, Hebrew word in the Old Testament for spirit is ruach, and then the New Testament word is pneuma in the Greek. Now, both of these words actually literally mean wind or breath, but those words are the words in the Old Testament and the New Testament that describe the Holy Spirit. So when you see that word breath or wind in the original languages, it's actually talking about the Holy Spirit. So we have it here all the way through that we see this metaphor being used. So let's look at two observations really quickly this morning about the wind and see how it compares to the Holy Spirit to help us, again, understand and follow him a little bit better. The first thing that's obvious that we've already sort of touched on about wind is that we can see the effects of the wind. You can't actually see the wind. What, what color is the wind? You know, Pocahontas, you can paint with all the colors of the wind. No, you can't because the wind's invisible, okay? So there's no colors to the wind. Sorry, sorry there, Lady Pocahontas. But still, it's a beautiful song, and I get that. But still, you can't see the actual wind. You can see the breeze in the trees. After a storm, you can go outside and maybe see limbs in your yard 
or a few weeks ago, uh, down, the, down our street, a huge tree blocked uh, the road, and so they had to remove that. That's an effect of the wind. I can't see what pushed that over, but I can see what it did in that way. You can also feel a gentle breeze on your face, or in the winter, you can feel the, you know, the cold breeze, the snow hitting you so hard, knocking you over. Again, you can't see what's doing that, but you can certainly see the effect of that. So Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, he gives his disciples a promise, and he promises the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So it says, once when he, that's Jesus, was eating with his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives them this promise of a gift. But the question is, how would they know when the gift arrived? Are they going to go on the doorstep and like Amazon drone has dropped the Holy Spirit in this box? Is that, oh, Holy Spirit, please open now, you know, this side up. Is that what's going to happen? Is it going to be a person like Jesus who's going to appear to them and say, I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm the gift that was promised. How are they going to know when the Holy Spirit comes? He says, wait until it comes. Wait until he comes. Wait until the gift comes. But how long are we going to wait? When are we know it's going to happen? So in Acts chapter 2, we see the first of really three signs. We'll just focus on the first one this morning. Uh, but here's what happens. So Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, so that's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, is what that, it's a, a feast, a festival. Uh, it says, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent, what? Wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they're sitting there, they're gathered, they're waiting, they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come, anticipating this gift that Jesus has promised them. And then while they're in this room, a violent wind blows through. That was the first sign the Holy Spirit made a pretty grand entrance, wouldn't you say? Like, uh, like a sound like a mighty rushing wind showed up in the room. And they're like, okay, something's happening. This must be what Jesus promised. Now, there are other signs that follow, but that was the initial one. That was the entrance of the Holy Spirit uh, on the day of Pentecost, a, a powerful wind. So the disciples and those that were gathered, when the Holy Spirit showed up, they knew it. There was no mistaking what was going on. And it's similar in our lives, so it may not be a violent wind, but it's still true. When the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, you know it. And we talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, and the way that we know this is that when we're saved, when we come to salvation, when we make that decision of faith, it doesn't take very long for certain things internally to start changing. Certain desires that I may have once had that were sinful— I begin to sense something different about how I think about and feel about those things or decisions. Uh, certain desires that I used to have maybe fade because my desire for the things of God has grown due to the Holy Spirit entering and revolutionizing my life. Uh, certain, certain ways that we look at the world will begin to change as the Holy Spirit enters our lives. We'll see things from a different lens, a different point of view, a different perspective as we again have, have a mindset of how God thinks, how God sees the world, how God views this situation. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, you know it. And it's just kind of like the wind. You can't always put your finger on it. You can't always give a list. I just feel different. I feel free. 
I feel like a weight. This is what I hear from people all the time when they come to Christ. A weight was lifted off my shoulders. You can't quantify that sort of thing. Like you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can't always give a lit. Now, some things you can list. Well, I don't have this desire anymore, and I feel free. But sometimes you just sense something different. That's how the Holy Spirit is much like the wind. But when he enters your life, even though you can't always explain every detail, you know there's been a difference that's been made. The other part of this, though, is that when the Holy Spirit enters your life, eventually others will know it too. We see this in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what we call, you know, the the nine fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Let me stop there for just a second. So I don't want you to see this list. Maybe you know this list by heart and you know all about this. I don't want you to see this as this is your checklist of works to do. Or this is something that I can do on my own. He says clearly, the Holy Spirit produces this fruit. It's something that I cannot do apart from him. It's something that without him, I'm not able to do any of this, let alone, you know, five of the nine or seven of the nine, right? It's just not going to happen. It must be a a product of the Holy Spirit's entrance in my life, his effect on my life. So the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Again, when the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we know it and others will know it. We will bear fruit. There will be evidence of our salvation. Now, notice what's not on this list is you'll be perfect in every way. That's not on the list. There's not 10 fruit of the Spirit. You know, there's not like a a boss level in a video game. I've got to conquer perfection, then I've won. That's not how this works at all. And even with these, he produces these things, and some we produce more than others. And some seasons of life, we produce more of these than others. Sometimes in my life, I have a lot of love for a lot of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Other times, not so much, okay? Other times I have a lot of peace. S- sometimes not so much. Sometimes I have patience. No, never mind. I never do that one very well. No. Uh, right? Can anybody else relate to that? Okay. But so again, don't, don't think of this as works for you to do. The Holy Spirit does it in you as an effect of his work in your life. And it's not about performance. It's not a performance review. It's like we want to do that on ourselves. Hey, how am I doing in the patience area? Where can I improve in loving people? Where can I, how can I maybe zone in to Christ for more peace? That's good, but I don't want to get us on a guilt trip here. I've got nine things to do now, Stephen. This is awful. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit produces this in your life. It's an effect on our lives that he has because when he enters our life, we know it and then others know it. The second comparison to wind here, uh, and that kind of goes from from one to the other, is this. The wind controls our direction. So think of your your life in terms of a sailboat. That's what we're going to use this kind of analogy within a metaphor today. We're getting like a meta here, okay? An analogy within a metaphor. The whole key to to being led by the Holy Spirit is that we submit to the Holy Spirit. So what I mean by that is we give God control. When, he, when the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we now trust, and we'll talk about this this coming Wednesday night a little bit, that he's Lord. So that means he owns us. And Paul uses this word in his writings a lot, this word love slave. 
I'm willingly giving myself over to God's control, to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life, because I understand that that way is best. His way is best. He has, I'm going to let him blow the wind of his spirit wherever he wants my life to go. I say, God, you are in control. God, take my life and use me for your purposes. Do what you want to with my life. I'm, I'm, I'm not my own, Paul says. I'm bought with a price, so I'm going to give God everything. There's a couple things, though, about this, and this, this idea is, seems very simple, but it can be very scary, okay? To submit your life to God, to the Holy Spirit, can be very scary. Because sometimes uh, we're surprised by where the wind chooses to take us. We have a plan, we have an agenda, we have goals, and we're going to put those up in the air and just let God do what he wants through the Holy Spirit. There's an, there's an, there's an example of this in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas. I'm going to read this. There's a lot of uh, town names and city names here. Don't get distracted by those. We just want to focus on the point of this passage. So Acts 16, starting at verse number 6, says this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. So what we see here is Paul and Silas are being led by the Spirit. They think God wants us to go preach here, plant churches here, do ministry here. But as they're on their way to where they think God has them, the Holy Spirit's like, no, let's go this way instead. I've, I've got something else I need you to do. So what they did is they submitted to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Again, they're already being led by the Spirit in this way, but when he says, let's, let's, do, let's take a left turn here, they're like, okay, whatever. So as you read on through Acts 16, you would think, okay, well, God's got something big planned for them, right? Like a huge church to plant, thousands of people to reach. And when you actually read where the, they, they get detoured, from and where they go to, you would think not a ton happens here. So uh, the first thing that really happens is they get into this area. Uh, they meet a small group of women, four or five women by a stream. And they, they assume or they just know by maybe looking at them that they're, they're not followers of Christ. And so uh, Paul comes up to them and Silas and they preach the gospel and they become Christians. One of the women, this, is for, this whole detour is for one person. Her name's Lydia. So why is Lydia important? Well, Lydia is important because it says she was a trader in fine cloth, especially purple cloth. It means she's pretty wealthy. She's a pretty successful businesswoman. So purple cloth, that's the most expensive dye that you can, that you, can you know, uh, not paint, but dye a cloth. And she's trading in this. So she's making some money. And so Paul has gone and preached to her. She's now become a Christian. Later on, when Paul writes the letter back to the Philippian church that starts later, so Years later, he writes to them and thanks them for their generous offering for his ministry. He even says at the end of Philippians, you gave me more than I needed. I have everything I need and more. And he says, you were the first church to ever fund my ministry. And he just thanks them profusely for their help. So what scholars uh, believe here is that Lydia, this one random woman that he met by a riverside when God told him, don't go here, go here, she was a huge financer of his ministry. So it wasn't for this huge endeavor here, but it, what, what the detour did in one spot that he was probably confused, okay, 
what, I, what's going on here? I'm, I'm surprised that God would say no when I'm doing what he already asked. Why would he? There's a, there's a bigger picture that Paul couldn't see. His ministry was funded plus some because he detoured to meet this one woman's need. There's another story I won't get into that's pretty cool too, uh, but that, that just shows us that sometimes we're surprised by where the wind of the Holy Spirit might take our lives, but it's essential that we just follow. There's a second part that's similar though, and this one is sometimes we're not just surprised by where the wind takes us, sometimes we're just confused. Like what? How, how did this happen? Why am I here? Is God really directing my steps? Because I don't know if he would lead me here. And this is a, a classic example of this mindset is in Matthew 4, verse 1. I, I'm going to need some participation here, okay, uh, for this verse. So I want you to think about what this verse is saying in terms of what we're talking about this morning. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was what? Led by the who? Spirit into the where? wilderness to be what by the jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil you think jesus may have had a few questions about what god was doing at that moment the spirit's leading him there for that purpose now there is some confusion i do want to clean up just real quickly. There might be a question you have or will have later, so I'm going to pre-answer your question, okay? Uh, The question is, in Matthew 4, it says the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted, but in Matthew 6, when we have the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation. Don't these kind of conflict with each other? Like, that doesn't, how, how could Jesus tell us that's the model of prayer if two chapters ago he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Well, there's a distinction that must be made on the different types of literature in the Bible, okay? So the Lord's Prayer is a prayer. Imagine that. It's pretty, pretty hard to grasp, right? It's a prayer. So it is prescriptive. This is how you should pray. This is what you should do. But Matthew 4 is a narrative. It is descriptive. It's telling you what something that happened, an event that happened. So these two are not equal in and of themselves, even there are different words here. So here's how we apply this, this confusion possibly in our minds very quickly. So... We should pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer or pray any kind of prayer, we should pray, okay, God, please keep temptation far from me. But in reality, we should understand it's always around the corner. Okay? So those are, there's, not a, there's not a discrepancy here. There's not a problem here. These don't, you know, bounce off each other. One is prescriptive, pray this way, but the other is descriptive. You can pray that way, but you have to know it's there. It's lurking. It's waiting to come out, rah, you know, and get you. It just is, Okay? But the real key here behind this story in Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus, is that the temptation was preparation. For Jesus, his temptation was preparation. Because after this moment of testing is when he then began his public ministry. And I think that makes sense, right? It makes sense that God's like, if I give you the ultimate test up front, and you A-plus that thing, probably anything else you're going to face in your ministry is going to be a cakewalk. It just makes sense. If the first day of school, okay, kids, first day of school, you get in, and you have the final for the end of the class on the first day, and you ace that class, the teacher should probably say, all right, I'll, you know, we're done here. I would love, I would love if college worked that way. May have gotten done earlier. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, uh, probably not. But that would be awesome. That's kind of what Jesus does here. Final test on the first day before, like the pre 
class, right? And then it's like he passed it after that, then no problem. Whatever anybody else has thrown at you, you're going to be fine. I see that here with Jesus. It was trial by fire. It was intense preparation. But the temptation was required for this preparation. And I believe in our lives it can work the same way. Sometimes struggles or times of testing, times of difficulty like deep temptation, if, if we can navigate the landmines of life, it will prepare us for what's next. Because how many of you know, it's, there's not just one temptation you're going to face in your life. You're going to face multiple temptations in your life, maybe in the same day sometimes. And so it's about these times of testing, not to see how terrible we are, how much we're going to get tripped up. It's to see how much we can learn and grow and become strengthened for what is next. Temptation can be preparation. So the wind controls the direction of our life. And sometimes, yes, we're surprised. And sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we do not see the plan that God has in his mind, in his heart. That's okay. But we do know this. When we're surprised, the Holy Spirit will always take us where we need to go. And even when we're confused by what the Holy Spirit's doing, the Holy Spirit will always prepare us for what he wants us to do. So again, the Holy Spirit will take us where we need to go, and he will prepare us for what we need to do. So here's my encouragement as we close today. My encouragement is this. Open your sails. Capture the wind. Be led by the Holy Spirit. It's easy to fight that. It's easy to say, well, there's a lot of risk involved here. Yeah, there is, right? There, there is risk involved. I'll give you that. But I think the Holy Spirit knows where he's going. I think he knows where he wants you to go, probably more than you do, absolutely more than you do. So the, the perceived risk is not really a risk at all. The risk is when I try to take control of the wheel. I don't like the way the wind's going. I'm going to turn this baby around. That's the risk. That's risky. When I try to take my life in my hands, it usually doesn't end up where I think it should, where I want it to go, where I hoped it will. Somehow along the way, I take a wrong turn, I follow the wrong star, and it's just not good. So the perceived risk is not really the risk at all. It's the sure thing. So open your sails. Be led by the Spirit. Sometimes, you know, we are frightened, but the Holy Spirit is our peace. Sometimes we get tired. Uh, just, I feel like I'm being drug around by the Holy Spirit all the time. I'm doing, he wants me to do this and go there and minister to them and give that and do this. And it's like the Holy Spirit's also our rest. It, should, it shouldn't be always work to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we do get tired, but again, he's our rest. He's our peace. He's our joy. We can find joy in following him because he always takes us where we need to go to prepare us for what we need to do. So again, open your sails. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you by his spirit, and you will never be led astray.